Hey everyone, welcome to episode number two of the Matt Martial Arts Podcast. This week, I have a very, very special treat uh, for our listeners here. Last week, I had a chance to interview Jim Trick from mywhitebelt.com. Uh, for those of you who don't know Jim, he's an amazing guy who's doing super valuable work for everybody in the jiu-jitsu community. Specifically for people who are just looking to get started and need to just get over that hump, or maybe they've gotten started and they're having some doubt, they're having some struggles. His work is not only really motivational, it's also really honest and really accurate. He doesn't sugarcoat things and say, hey, everything's gonna be easy. No, what he says is, yeah, when times get tough, it's supposed to be like that, but you ride it out and the reward is really worth it. So. We had a great conversation um, that, like I said, I'm really excited to share because for a long time now, or for you know more than a year, I've followed Jim on social, specifically Instagram, and I've always just loved his content. And I, so I'm a purple belt who's been training about nine years now, and I still find his content super useful. I'll look and he has just gotten right to the core of some of my doubts, some of my challenges, some of my fears, all of these different things. And he has just the right thing to say to uh, to really, you know, keep the motivation there while still being very real about it. And, you know, speaking about authentic authenticity, I was uh, following Jim and I was commenting on some of his uh, some of his work on Instagram. And then one day it hit me. I was like, I would love to interview him for the show here. And I figured it was kind of a long shot because I'd never met him, never talked to him. And I dropped him a DM and and I said, hey, I'd love to love to have you on the podcast. Like, here's what I'm doing. And he responded and it was just short and sweet. He's like, I'd love to just tell me when. And I was like, wow, this is my kind of guy. And uh, and so there's there's some more backstory to that where basically, you know, he was just like, the thing he insisted on was, you know what, let's just keep it authentic. That was that was the only request he had was keep it authentic. So I was like, okay, Jim is definitely my kind of guy. So after this hour long conversation, it struck me that it felt like it went by in about 15 minutes. Um, and I felt like I had really, you know, made a new friend because he really embodies a lot of the things that I appreciate about the jujitsu community. Just super welcoming and cool and supportive while also being really authentic. So I think you'll really, I think you'll really love this episode. Like I said, it's a special treat. Um, it was really truly a treat for me um, in him doing this and being so generous with his time and just just great with you know his his answers and just his honesty and just being so forthright. So once again, if you don't if you don't follow Jim on mywhitebelt.com, uh, I would strongly suggest taking, checking him out on Instagram. Uh, definitely having a listen to his podcast. He's interviewed some of the biggest names you know, the biggest names in jujitsu. And he's had just had some phenomenal conversations that are really enlightening. So definitely, uh, definitely check him out if you haven't already. And so without any further ado, let's, uh, let's get into it. I hope that you, I hope that you all enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoy doing this interview. Okay. Great. So Jim, so nice to meet you. Thank you so much uh, for graciously sharing your time, uh, you know, here to to go back and forth. I mean, I'd really love to, really love to talk with you about your motivations and your content, right? Because sort of the genesis of this is that I, you know, I've been a fan of yours. I've been really consuming your content. I've always been really impressed with how 
how authentically close it hits, it hits home with me. Because I'm a purple belt in jujitsu, but most days I still feel like a white belt. I'm learning from kind of everybody in the room. Um, can you just give me the genesis on on what it is? It was the motivation to start your start your journey here? You know, there's sort of a there's a thirty thousand foot view of it, which is when I was thirteen, my dad got sick, and my mom and I watched him have a stroke in a train station in Boston, Massachusetts. But over the course of my, and, and he lived, but he was a very, very severely disabled person throughout my young and my adult life. So along the way, I always had mentors. I always had people strategically at different points in my life who said, hey, let's do this together. Whether it was, you know, my youth pastor or, uh, you know, music teachers or when I was in my early 20s, I learned how to fly fish from a guy named Al, who we lost him a couple of years ago at 92. And I always had these people along the way who sort of filled this role of saying, come on, let's do this together. Come on, let's do this together. And I feel like the my white belt thing the heart of that really is, hey, come on, let's do this together. And uh, and if and if I can do it, you can do it. And so that's kind of like the 30,000 foot view of why my head and my heart are in the kind of mission that they're in. And then to be more specific about training jujitsu, I'm just stunned at how positively training jujitsu impacts a, per a person's life. And I want to live in a world where good, solid, grounded, morally upright people are taking responsibility for their protection. And I, I just want to live in a world where good people train. <laughs> no, that's, that is, that is fantastic. So in my childhood and through teen years, I trained karate and I still have some amazing friends I'm still in touch with today. But through the course of life, I kind of lost track of that. Through another longer story for another day, I got in touch with, with uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I was super intimidated going to my first class. And I remember trying to force myself driving over to class that I would actually go in. And I had a lot of anxiety because again, I was brand new, I was a white belt because in karate, I was a black belt. I felt very comfortable and confident. I knew everybody. Walking into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy for the first time and for the first couple of weeks, I always felt like a fish out of water and I've got like the stark white belt. I couldn't really do anything, I was awkward. And, but I was always blown away by how supportive people were. And I guess, for me, the misconceptions, and it's something that you've talked about on your own podcast, the misconceptions of somebody walks into an academy to train for the first time, they have all these misconceptions in their head. So you're going through and you're helping people dispel those, right? So yeah. when you think about that initial stage, what you're saying is, if I can just sort of repeat it back, is you're giving people sort of the, the pre-confidence to go in, hey, listen, this is going to be good for you and you're not going to regret it. Is that and also the mental health aspect is the big part for me, stress relief. I know there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I think that there are some there are some archetypes, right? And you know, you have 
you have the competitor and the person who may have been very competitive at a high level in college or in high school, and they train jujitsu because they want to continue to compete and to become a world champion. And that's, and that's a very noble, wonderful archetype. So one archetype is the competitor, but another archetype is the kind of geek, uh, you know, the person who didn't play sports in high school, the person who like, maybe they spent all their time playing D and D or for me, I got my varsity high school letter in glee club, right? Not exactly anybody who by any estimations you would consider to be a jujitsu warrior. But part of the magic of jujitsu is that you can be the star athlete or the D and D nerd and find a place, find a home on on the mat. And yeah, I mean, to your point, it's intimidating for everybody. That's what's, I think that's one of the things that's really interesting. And I don't know, so you're out in Torrance with the Gracie brothers? So I'm north of LA. So I have a two hour commute to the academy, but now it's like home. There's academies five and 10 minutes away, but these guys are like family. So I'm two hours down and about an hour coming home because of reduced- right. So these people that without knowing them or knowing what a jujitsu class was like, you were like, very, it's very nerve wracking and intimidating walking through the door for literally everyone, big and tough, accomplished, um, small, doughy, chubby, uh, the whole, the whole spectrum. But then what happens is within 15 minutes of being in the door, you realize, oh, no one's here to no one's here to hurt me. And in your case, and in my case, so you love your academy enough to drive two hours, right? Because they yep. have become your family. Fortunately, my academy is four minutes away from where I live, but it's like these people are so woven into the fabric of my life. And that that little hump. It it starts out feeling like a mountain because the idea of going into train is intimidating. And it that intimidation just doesn't last. It literally has not lasted. I run our beginner program now as a purple belt. I teach I teach beginners and and I kind of function as a gym, as sort of the gym manager, just helping out. So most of the brand new white belts kind of come through me and not one of them has spent more than 10 or 15 minutes uncomfortable. No, that's that's fantastic. And I think it's that welcoming attitude. And so what was funny in, in my, my sort of story, I was actually living over in Dubai and commuting back and forth to Los Angeles every two weeks. I didn't want to sell my house. I didn't want to uproot my wife and kids. So I, I had a local academy that was literally five minutes from my house. And I went in and everybody was great, but it just it just didn't stick. It just didn't click. And it was more competition focused. And I wasn't interested in competition. I was really interested in sort of like self-defense and just sort of self-improvement and went to another academy. So that was there probably about three or four months. Great people. They're still doing their thing. They're still fantastic. Went to another academy that was more like MMA focused. And it was just a little too intense for me. So I'm 51 now. And I was just like, okay, these guys are in their twenties and they're just like, go, go, go. And again, great people, still friends with a lot of them. But I worked down in Los Angeles, and so I started at the Beverly Hills Gracie Academy. Instant click, day one. Peter and Gracie was my instructor on my first lesson. Took morning classes, right? 
Instant what's that? Like? What's that like being Tapa Huron? Come on, give us give I, us the. I, on top of him, I wouldn't know. <laughs> now, top yeah. top by Huron. Oh yeah, top by Huron is, it is, amazing, right? But it's amazing for the most surprising reasons. It's when so Huron and Henner are both my instructors, and it's amazing because you can feel the love, for every level of student. I mean, mm. they, they coach professional MMA fighters, amazing world-class athletes. To me, a gangly 51-year-old guy who's not anywhere near as coordinated as I used to be. But the level of love and support and inspiration is the thing that blew my mind. Now, obviously, their level of instruction, breaking down every detail and giving you various scenarios, it's it's amazing. Uh, but it's it's the amount of love and care that they put into it and the inspiration I think is the part that still leaves me amazed every time. I don't want to derail whatever track you want us to go down, but I do want to say that I find it really impressively incredible that those two guys are still teaching because it could be like when you go to a Gordon Ramsay restaurant, you kind of know Gordon Ramsay isn't there, right? He's not, you know, when you go to like, something that like Jacques Pepin owns. He's not there. He's back at his house counting his money. But when you're training with those guys, they're actually there in person, in the trenches with you teaching. I mean, I they have my, res- my love, respect and appreciation anyhow, even though I don't know them just because of what they contribute. But to know that they're actually teaching your classes is really cool and and that's you're right and i think it's it's amazing because again the level of skill and and knowledge and just flexibility that they bring to their instruction is next level and that's why for me i will gladly drive two hours i'd ride a bicycle 16 hours to get to class because of that level of commitment and and it's amazing too because and actually that was a path i was really hoping to go down in talking with you as well is it feels like in jujitsu, the the better, the, the strongest, top performing, best performing jujitsu, you know, players, martial artists are also oftentimes the most welcoming, the most encouraging, right? And it, it feels very different from other sports. Normally, you know, other sports, it's somebody who's like a really just like top apex predator in that sport are also letting you know they're the apex predator. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? Why jujitsu seems to be so unique in that sense? So, you know, when, when I was a kid, we we loved karate movies and Bruce Lee movies. And we would watch, you know, the like Revenge of the Ninja and Enter the Ninja and all these different movies. And these fighters would have these magical superpowers where they would like throw a smoke grenade and backflip over a person and kick him in the back of the head. And... Or even like before we knew better, watching Steven Seagal movies with all of his with all of his like movie star Aikido that, you know, we didn't know anything when we were watching those movies. And just the idea that this one person could fight this way seemed like so fantastical. And so then guys like you and I go and take karate lessons. And we learn blocks and kicks and katas and all these different things. And I don't know, maybe we get some kind of false sense of satisfaction because we don't really know what we don't know. But then you walk into a jujitsu academy 
and it's full contact. And like my coach who I outweigh by a good 80 or 90 pounds, and I've got six inches in height on him, literally picks me up over his head with his legs and makes me feel completely, completely weightless. And what happens in jujitsu is the fantasy becomes the reality. It becomes for us that thing that we always want, that we, it becomes the closest thing to what we saw in the movies growing up as, as exists. And um, so that's sort of part A of my answer, but ask the question again, because I, I, I lost my train of thought halfway. No, no, no. But that was, that was perfect. So actually, so part two to that is you have these people who are, are actual real life superheroes. You know, you're in Star Trek. Oh, oh, I've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what also makes them so nice and welcoming so, and encouraging? So here's what happens. So once you get, this is my theory. And the person who comes to mind is Tom DeBlas. I don't know if you follow Tom DeBlas's career. He got his black belt from Professor Ricardo Almeida, who got his from Master Henzo Gracie. And, you know, Tom DeBlas is this guy who is like, been a UFC fighter. He owns, uh, you know, academies all over the world. And he is, uh, he's a bad dude. Like you don't want to mess with Tom DeBlas. When he came on my podcast, I told one of my coaches, I said, Tom DeBlas is coming on my podcast. He goes, well, don't upset him. Cause he'll be up here with his, he'll be up here with his friends. And, um, and Tom DeBlas is like as kind and generous and gentle as a person can be. And he wrote a book about his life. And in his book, he talks about um, being sexually abused as a child. And he's generous with his story. And here's my theory. I think that when, I think that when you have become accomplished in jujitsu, you don't have anything to prove. And if you don't have anything to prove, then I don't think anybody actually leaves their ego at the door. I think that that's a, a I don't I mean, I don't think that's a real thing. I think everybody has an ego, keeps their ego, brings their ego with them, but they just have to decide whether or not it's going to be tamed or if they're going to let it run wild. But I think that once you really have developed a certain pedigree in jujitsu and you have nothing to prove at that point, what you're left with is generosity. And that generosity will show up. It will show up in, um, you know, somebody like Henner being really kind to a brand new white belt, but it might also come. It might also show up with him being a little bit harder on you because you're a purple belt, right? Yeah. So he might, he might have to turn it up on you. And in both scenarios, he's doing the kindest, best, most generous thing that he can do. But he's, what he's not doing is he's not operating out of insecurity, right? That is a fantastic point. And so going back to that, right, is jujitsu is sincerity and honesty, honesty with myself honesty with each other. And I think that the martial arts, I think all of the martial arts have an incredible amount to give as long as you still have that purity. 
If you have the karate instructor who's also really honest and hard on their students to be the best they can be, it's very different than the karate instructor who promotes everybody every three months to not lose students, right? And I think that that's one of the things that's really striking to me is I've become more honest with myself since training jujitsu and it makes me interact in the world in a completely different way. Yeah, it's wild. For me, it's kind of like, and, and I'm at a place right now. So the win, one of the wins is that, you know, my backstory, I was 430 pounds at my all-time heaviest. I couldn't fit into one airplane seat. I wore a size 66-inch pair of pants. And now I'm down a couple hundred pounds and I train jujitsu six days a week. But my next, my next sort of frontier, if you will, is a mindset challenge where with some of my training partners, I go in defeated before I've begun. And so I'm really working right now, as much as I'm working technique, I'm also working my mindset that says, you know what? I don't want to be beaten mentally before I get on the mat. I don't want to have already lost before we've even slapped and bumped fists. Yeah. You know, that, that is a super powerful concept because I remember just like yesterday, I just freshly got my blue belt. I went through Gracie combatives, amazing program where you're learning like the, really the fundamental techniques. I tested for my blue. I got it. I had a pretty good score on it. Uh, because Beverly Hills at that time was very, very small classes. And, and Hedorn was my instructor for a lot of those classes. So you're really getting pure technique right from the source. So I went through and I was feeling really good about myself, but I had I hadn't rolled in the academy yet, right? And so I remember my first, I want to say 10, 15 classes, I just felt like I wasn't getting any better against my peers, right? And so there was one class in particular, I came off the mat and I was in the locker room and I was just beaten on so many levels. I was tired physically because I hadn't learned to sort of conserve my energy. But more than that, I was really beaten mentally because I was upset with myself. I was really frustrated. And, and one of the instructors came in and he saw me, uh, his name was Chris, and he looked at me and he asked what was wrong. And I was just super honest with him. I just said, I, I, I'm terrible at this. I suck. I, I might as well just quit. And he's like, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, you, you just got your blue belt. And he's like, wait, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 40. So I was over 40 when I started. He's like, first off, give yourself a win for training after 40, like getting started, having that courage. Give yourself another win for showing up. And we had this amazing conversation over a 15, 20 minute period where he said that you have to have the win in your head as an achievable thing, as opposed to comparing yourself to other people who are you know, younger, faster, stronger, whatever it may be. And it really changed my entire perception of, of jujitsu. So is that one of those things is you're, you're looking at continually evolving? Yeah, I, re I just remember, I remember when I was either late white belt or early blue belt sitting and having a cup of coffee with a brown belt and uh, and somebody who was a purple belt at the time and talking, they could tell that I had embarrassment over tapping. I didn't want to tap. I, I, I wasn't an idiot. Like I didn't withhold the tap. I tapped, but I just didn't want to tap. I didn't want to tap against, particularly, I didn't want to tap against people who were a lower rank than I am. And the day that I got over that, 
was the day that I started to really enjoy jujitsu and and stopped being tied to what other people thought or even what I thought about myself. Early, early, early days of training, somebody, it wasn't my professor. I think it was this guy in our school who is now a professor. He's a brown belt at the time. Jeff G looked me in the eye and said, I promise you that if you keep coming, you'll get somewhere. It was really interesting that 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 phrase was word for word. If you keep showing up, you'll get somewhere. Your game will form. And you know, I started at 47 with the history that I've had. I'm going to be 52 in a couple of weeks. And in February, in February, it'll be my fifth year. And I can invert, I can, uh, the things that my body can do now, my first class was like a basic five point arm bar from closed guard. And I literally couldn't even get my left foot off the hip onto my training. I couldn't get my left foot off the ground and onto my training partner's hip. That's how stiff and out of shape I was. And now I can actually do inversion drills and I have no idea. I have no idea what's next. You know, I don't know. I mean, I have some ideas of where I would like to see my game go, but any of this beating myself up thing, I think it's over now. I'd like to think it's over. I mean, until something really embarrassing happens where my ego gets, where my ego gets bruised again. But as it stands right now, I really, I really want to, I really want to compete against myself. And I really want to, I don't want to be easy on myself. Training jujitsu is hard enough. I just don't want to be a jerk to myself. You know what I mean? Oh, I totally know what you mean. And I think that's, I think for me, I try to, I try to focus on different things, almost like different chapters, right? And I went through the thing as well, where I definitely didn't want to, you know, get tapped by somebody who is a lower rank and whatnot. And, but when I started to open up, I started saying, well, I need to challenge myself differently in those roles, put myself in bad positions, see if, about getting comfortable, see about fighting out of it, figuring out, testing different techniques, knowing going in that I'm still going to have to tap because I'm kind of like putting myself in those positions. And I noticed that my game didn't only like in um it didn't only evolve technique wise but the mindset wise the enjoyment wise i started looking at everything as okay cool this is a rep i'm seeing this again through much clearer vision right so i started to understand the techniques a lot better and you know it's funny i'll go through and we have a combination class it's called um reflex development it's where there's white belts who are getting a taste of some of the more advanced class stuff and you start putting your very basic techniques into some actual real type of situations. And it's cool because you interact with a lot of white belts. And um, sometimes I've had partners who it was like their first week in class. And it was so much fun giving them my take on a move and like helping them break it down and seeing where they couldn't get their foot on the hip. No, no, just shift out, shrimp out this way a little bit. You get the foot on and like seeing that light bulb. That's an addiction for me. Because you also make a friend where every time that you see them, they come up and they you've got like a shared experience. I love that aspect of jujitsu. And, and that obviously it seems like you've really 
figured out a way to expand that reach because your your comments and your content are so perfectly well placed and they're so authentic. How how do you think about that content to make it so accurate? Well, it's really funny. Uh, you know, I talk about this with my, my inner circle of friends all the time. So from the time I was 18, when I was like 18, I started playing music and speaking in churches. I was I was raised in the church and and it, a bunch of opportunities kind of came my way. And so you know, as I as I got into my late 20s and my 30s, that expanded to like where I was I was, you know, speaking at events with 2000 high school kids or 1000 wow. men and wow. I was doing this kind of like Christian rock inspirational speaker guy thing. And then this is going to get real personal. And then I, I went through a divorce around 10 years ago. And some of my theological musings had already been been changing and shifting and growing, like I believe we're supposed to. And by the end of the divorce, even though it wasn't over any like moral failure, we tried. It just didn't work. The places that were booking me to come and speak and play weren't, they weren't the kind of places that would book somebody who was divorced for whatever reason. So, so I was sort of left with like, um, here I am, I'm fat. Uh, this ministry kind of thing is gone. And then I went through another epiphany again, around 10 or 11 years ago is when this started, where I, I had a vision for becoming a life coach, motivational speaker, but I was 400 pounds. And I went through this, I went through this three week, like epiphany, like this perfect storm of what I needed to have happen in order for me to take responsibility for my life and my body and my health and so on and so forth. So 10 or 11 years ago, I started on this journey of losing weight, becoming a coach, really figuring out the really figuring out the answers to questions that nobody really seemed to be able to give me around what I refer to as as overcoming the challenge of change. So and I got to do a bunch of really cool stuff, became a, a life and executive coach got to do a bunch of corporate speaking that actually involved music through a thing called banding people together. I was a touring member, went all over the world, did gigs for ESPN and SunTrust and Microsoft and um, Focus Brands and just, I mean, this long list of big companies that hired us to come in and do this Lead Like a Rockstar program. And things went well. But there's something about jujitsu that has provided a really unique opportunity to funnel all of the things that I've learned, even about public speaking, right? How to how to how to how to connect with a person in order to encourage and change their hearts and minds. And so, you know, Steve Martin, people used to ask Steve Martin, how do you make it in show business? And Steve Martin said, become so good that 
they can't ignore you. And I'm not saying that I've become so good that I'm like the best thing on the internet. But what I am is 52 years of my own struggle and overcoming and falling and getting back up. And you get all of that funneled into my little bit of knowledge about jujitsu in a way that says, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the competitor or the geek. I don't care if you are the high level military warrior or if you are the single mom who's just looking to get in shape and be an example for your kids. Uh, I have I have 52 years and 430 pounds of motivation. And then it actually becomes easy for me. Right. Yeah. So then yeah. like making a meme, making a meme that strikes the a, a heart chord isn't hard. And, you know, and then more than that, Jason, like being generous is easy for me. And you know why being generous is easy with for me? Because Richard Bressler is generous with me. Because Hori and Gracie's generous with me. Because Joey Diaz and and and, and, and this list of Kenny Florian. Chris Howder, you kidding me? Alex Barcelona, Th these people that are like world-class competitors have been so generous with me in the My Wipeout platform that, yeah, you can bet if these people, if Hori and Gracie can be generous with me, I can be generous with anybody. That is beautiful. I mean, that, that really is beautiful. And I think that the thing that's so striking to me is, is the authenticity right here, the authenticity of this conversation, right? Because it's so real. You know, you talk about, you talk about coaching, you talk about inspiring people. The people who truly inspire me the most are the ones that have the rapport with me because I know that they've also been through it, right? Yeah. It's one thing for me to get instruction for somebody who's never lived through it. It's another when somebody's actually been through it. And that authenticity is the secret, like the secret sauce, right? Because Two people can say the same thing to me. One person I have a ton of rapport with because I'm like, wow, you know, you've already been through it. You know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's a whole different level, right? Yeah, the world just doesn't need any more phonies. And you know, oh. and he, he, here here's where I could be a real phony. I'm very honest about the fact that I'm I'm a mediocre purple belt. You know what I mean? Like I get smashed routinely i have my things that i'm good at and i'm working on all of my stuff and i love it but you know the day that you see me doing any kind of like real advanced tutorial video unsubscribe at that point i might at some point in time work out like some white belt survival stuff around strategic framing or that kind of thing but i'm much better at talking about jujitsu and even teaching jujitsu than being in a role with even like, you know, a one or two stripe, really athletic blue belt. They're going to give me trouble every day. I'm an old man. I'm an old man. My knees and my back hurt. You know, you know what I mean? I'm doing my best. So but I think, I think you and I are the same because I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the same exact description. It's a super honest description. Just a couple of nights ago in class, I found myself under a super athletic, I think it was a one stripe blue belt, but I also didn't freak out trying to get out. And that was the win for me was just staying safe. He didn't submit me, but I couldn't even sweep him. But that's a very accurate description of me as well. 
I know. I know. I, uh, today I was rolling with an extraordinarily strong and athletic white belt. And I was fine. But one of our professors was watching and was like, Jim, get the underhook on the other side. And then spent 20 minutes with me after that roll. I didn't get sobbed. I reversed it. I did fine. Um, but one of the one of our black belts watched me and was like, okay, if you're going to fight bottom half guard lockdown, here are some things that you want to think about. And I will think about those things <laughs> during my next role. But sometimes just not ta- sometimes just not getting subbed. And you don't want to ball up and be like a boulder either. Right. You don't want to stall the role. Right. But but it's like, but that's a really good point though, right? Like, you know, your your experience, and this is something that I draw from for myself a lot, is you know, you have somebody who's really athletic or whatever, and it's like tie them up, slow them down, sort of like disrupt their game to where they don't submit you. But also their chances are they're going to get fatigued because they're kind of like excited. They're like in the in the role and this and that. And if you can wait them out, then to me, I consider that a win. To your point, also not not balling up. Yeah, it's a it's a funny it's a funny balance between stalling and strategizing, especially when you're (laughs) especially when you get top position and you're tired. Oh, (laughs) for sure. Control control the head, get your get your get your feet connected and, and hang out there and catch your breath. I've been known to do that before. It, it was funny though, actually, is uh, going back to kind of why I started doing this podcast again. And it comes back down to the inspiration of like willingness to jump in and not be the best at it to look stupid. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never put out a DVD instructional set. I'll, I'll be honest, I never will. Yeah. But I love this format here of inspiring other people to also be their best people. Right. And I feel like martial arts in specifically Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And the more that I've gotten into it, the more I've believed in this is this uniquely powerful tool for all of these reasons we're talking about. It's this uniquely powerful tool for personal development, because, you know, I I have a pretty good career. I'm a VP in a tech company and I feel very confident at work. But now I'm more humble. And what it's done is it's opened up, you know, opened me up to listening to more suggestions. And I find that I learn so much from people who don't have the same level of experience. And so I feel like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu martial arts in general is this amazing tool. And I think that one, one of the big reasons for me and wanting to start the podcast and the website and whatnot is to also find respect and common ground amongst the martial arts. Like I'll look at Aikido and and if you talk to an Aikido practitioner, there's, you know, there's various different types, but it's like, I have so much appreciation and respect for the beauty that the, the circumstance, right? Like the, like the beauty and sort of like the pageantry of it almost, and sort of definitely the history and the lineage, where if I look at it for that, I'm like, well, sure, I could probably take you down and, you know, take you down and submit you. However, I couldn't do with the same skill that they have because they've devoted to it in karate and all the different styles. And I love finding that commonality. And I think that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is uniquely suited to like bringing out the best in people. I think that's true. And I find it, you know, I, I think that I find it a little bit challenging sometimes to be as respectful as I really want to be towards other martial arts. So if you look at something like, um, if you look at something like Aikido, it's beautiful. I think the outfits are cool. I think the rooms that they train in are cool. Uh, I look at that. 
Um, kendo is more of a sport. Like kendo is something that I would really like to try just yeah, for fun with the armor and the and the split bamboo boken. Yeah. Super cool. And uh, and I think that people should be free to do whatever they want to do. Period. As my father would say, end of report. People should be free to do what they want to do as long as it's not going to hurt anybody. Or, But here's where it gets weird for me. If a person is training a theoretical martial art and they're being taught techniques that have the potential to do more harm than good, if they're in an altercation, I draw the line there. And I say, listen, here, here's, what I, here's what I think works. I think boxing works. Boxing works. I think Muay Thai works. Yes. I think Sambo works. I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu works. Yeah. I think there's a, a handful of things that work. And a person should be able to do anything they want to do. If they, stay, if they think Steven Seagal is amazing, they want to do a keto. I think it's beautiful. I get it. It's, it's interesting. I don't know much about it. Uh, all I know is that at different points in my karate training, Guys are pointing rubber guns at my head and showing me how to disarm it. And I think it's dangerous or, or coming at me with a knife. And I really think, I just think sometimes you, you just have to be very, very careful with the kind of con you don't want to instill false confidence. I think now at purple belt in jujitsu, I think I'm less likely to get into a fight than I ever have been. I've never been in a fight, but I think with my karate, little karate under my belt thinking, Oh yeah, you know, I know this eight point blocking system and I learned these combinations. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think now as a, as a full grown six foot tall, 230 pound strong man who trains six days a week, I don't want to get in a fight with anybody. So, so two things, actually, this is, this is super powerful because that's really at the crux of it for me too, is the, the beauty, the beauty versus the reality, right? And I think if somebody understands what they're getting into, if somebody, if you have instructors who have that really strong sort of moral compass and, and instilling don't fight, which is ironic, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I believe is the best martial art on the planet. And it's, me too. But, but we all... <laughs> But we also always have this thing of de-escalate, walk away. You don't need to like let your ego do something that can't be taken back, either for yourself uh, or for somebody else. And I find that very ironic that there's also a lot of, you know, schools of different styles. And, you know, I'll leave those nameless for now, where there's this thing of, oh, great, you're eight years old and here's your black belt because your parents paid me X amount of money. You can go take on 10 schoolyard bullies, right? That is dangerous. And it's life-changing in a negative way it's so irresponsible so, so irresponsible irres yeah it's so irresponsible and i think for me that it's for me that's why authenticity is at the core of everything now do you do you not like the idea of grappling and getting sweaty and getting armbarred in jujitsu like there are some days where i'm definitely sore and kind of tweaked a little bit now does karate work better maybe for my mom who's not going to go out and get in fights but the mental discipline of doing katas and light sparring and you know things like that. I think that's great because it's geared to her. As long as her instructor is not saying, hey, listen, don't take any nonsense from somebody in a parking lot. 
So I think that that's where it is for me is, is the moral accountability on the practitioners, but really on the culture of the school, right? Like I love Aikido for what it is, but I wouldn't use it as, a, as, my, as my own self-defense because I, I don't think it's as effective. If I was teaching one of those kinds of classes, uh, you know, like kids karate, I would spend every class or like, you know, martial arts for seniors. We have a group that trains Shotokan karate at our, where, where awesome. we meet as a jujitsu school and they're all older and I love them and they're great. And they watch us train and, and they ask questions and it's, it's the, it's the greatest thing ever. But if I was a quote unquote, if I was like a sensei in a karate school, I would spend so much time teaching situational awareness. Like yes. so much of our curriculum would be about knowing to avoid transitional spaces, right? That that hallway between the front door and the elevator of the parking garage, right near the you know the the, the ATM machine, right? Where do you not want to go? There's a guy on um. It's a guy on YouTube has who has a thing called active self-protection. He's an interesting guy. I don't know his name, but he says the three S's of self-defense are don't go to stupid places with stupid people to do stupid things. So if you have a theoretical martial art that's beautiful, but undeniably statistically ineffective for keeping you safe, do it if that's what you love to do, but teach situational awareness and how to avoid dangerous situations. And then I think just, you know, to the extent that you're able and keep your doors open, be honest about what you're teaching, you know, Hey, what we're teaching here is fitness and situational awareness. I think that that would be a great shift for a lot of people. I think that'd be a great shift for a lot of people to be very realistic with themselves. And I think that that, that's the hard part that I think led to the whole rise of the the McDojo, right? It's like you get the McDojos in where there's like sort of a delusional leader who wants to say that their thing is like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I can't spar because I don't I don't want to kill you with one touch, right? Like that to me just kind of reeks of of nonsense. And um that's ironic also about Brazilian jiu-jitsu is how you have you have such a such an integrity to it wear like fake black belts because to me i think that there were some fake black belt videos on on youtube and whatnot yeah. i i would be embarrassed if i even wore a fake brown belt right yeah because i'm I embarrassed like to wear my purple belt some days <laughs> and i actually <laughs> earned it <laughs> yeah exactly i mean i i feel like i should go and put my blue belt back on some days but it's it's funny right because that's kind of like to the extreme because some people do every justification to give themselves the highest thing for other people to look at as opposed to knowing what's real inside. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Well, this, you know, now, now not to get like super crazy, really heavy, but we live in many respects, we live in a culture of uninitiated men who turn to fantasy and delusion over being honest with themselves yeah. about who they are. Listen, it's like when we, when we opened this conversation and I was talking about Tom DeBlas, the, the, the strongest, the strongest person in the room is the one 
who has been the most honest about who they are. And when you really, when you stop seeing, and listen, I'm not talking about vulnerability in terms of like being a weak little flower who's always talking about their feelings, but I'm talking about the man who is able to talk about their wound. I think it's the author, John Eldridge, who says that everybody, every man has a battle to fight, a wound to heal, and a beauty to rescue. That men are born with those three things, a battle to fight, a wound to heal, and a, and a beauty to rescue. And to the extent that, and I, you know, obviously jujitsu is for men and women. I'm speaking specifically right now. It's, you know, 85% dudes. And I want to be, I want to promote a culture of masculinity that really helps a man be aware that he has a warrior spirit and that he's a battle to fight. I want that person to be honest about the wound that they have a la guys like you and me and Tom DeBlas and the people who aren't ashamed to be honest about the truth of our narratives in service of helping other guys. And then, and then talk about what happens in our relationships with women. If a, if a woman is lucky enough to come across a guy who has worked on his wound, right. Who understands that he has a battle to fight that man becomes worthy of rescuing the beauty that is inside the woman that he wants to be partnered with. And at that state, and when that happens, everything changes. The problem is when we've got a culture of meatheads who are walking around wearing tap out shirts and they've never been on a mat, right? And they're, and they're playing a fool's game. Uh, everybody loses. Jiu-jitsu invites that man to the table. I think it was um, Joey Diaz when I talked when I got to talk to Joey I love Diaz. Joey Diaz. Oh, he talks about his anxiety and his depression and how he says, "You know, you know what happened for me? I found healing when that guy was trying to choke me. I was in his arms, and yeah, he was trying to choke me. But that, you know, he talks about the healing power of being physically connected to a guy who is trying to choke him, but is also trying to teach him. And uh, like that's the that's the thing about like that's that's why jujitsu is so weird and beautiful and great that this dangerous martial art." provides a gateway into all of these deep esoteric uh hard to get to things are laid out for anybody and literally jason all they have to do is google gracie jiu-jitsu or brazilian jiu-jitsu in my town and yep. go and have a trial class and nine times out of ten they're going to have a great academy they're not going to have to drive two hours to get to, and it's going to potentially change some really important parts of their lives. And oh, I get I get so excited when I'm talking about it. I talk no, about it all the time. No, but that is but that is golden. And and I also I want to be super respectful of your time. I realize we're almost at time, and I think that that was really the essence of everything that I was trying to capture. Is that there's that thing, there's that beauty in sort of that brutality, right? Like I had a conversation with somebody the other day and 
I was asking him the question, why is it that people who are so amazing at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are also the kindest? And the response kind of blew me away. And it was, it was one of my very good friends said that you have to have the balance, right? You know, you can, you can fight like crazy with somebody for three, four or five minutes and you're trying to choke them. They're trying to choke you. Maybe you get choked, maybe you don't. But at the end of it, you know that you both have given your all and there's a shared bond in that respect. And to your call out, I, I agree a thousand percent. Find an academy, go do a trial class, go in with an open mind and a humble heart, and it will definitely change your life. You're really going to be fine. You, there's no, you know, maybe you'll get hit by a bus as you're driving over to the trial class. There's no guarantees in life, but the there's an extraordinarily high likelihood that you will have a great experience. And in, you know, maybe you'll do a trial class and you'll just say, ah, it's not for me. And the win is just that you went and tried something. And maybe that will be the thing that maybe you'll decide that, you know, that jujitsu isn't your thing, but curling is like sliding that stone across the ice with a broom, you know, yeah. find your thing and don't let fear. Listen, we all have this, that we all have that inner critic that's telling us, oh, don't go do that. The inner critic is there to kind of keep you safe, but it's the inner not doing a great job. Wants to like keep you sitting on the couch, right? Watching TV, numbing your that brain. With, the inner critic wants to give you diabetes. <laughs> I think that that sounds like a bumper sticker. I love that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that 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 is just those are just beautiful words, right? And maybe even it just you go and it it, it doesn't it doesn't resonate on that first time, but it plants the seed, and you get to a certain place in your life, and you need it. Me, from my own personal experience, jujitsu is consistently there for me when I am feeling stressed, anxiety, not feeling good about myself, need to do whatever. I go to class, you're surrounded by friends, you feel better, right? And it's it's that thing of go out, be willing to like not be the expert on day one and just go put in your time. Yeah, that's it. But you, you no need to restate that. That's that's it's as simple as that. So, so Jim, I, I really, I truly can't thank you enough. Um, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. Did you have, did you have anything else to drop? Because you're, you know, no, I mean, I think this has been great. I'm, I'm super excited for you. Uh, one of the cool things about jujitsu is, you know, you and I have never met or spoken prior to, prior to this. And, uh, but it's like an instant, like this instant brotherhood, instant friendship. Like we came in on the same bus and, I think that um, if there's anything, if any of your listeners are not familiar with My White Belt, they can go to mywhitebelt.com. They can listen to the My White Belt podcast, wherever podcasts are listened to, and they can go where you and I met, which is Instagram, because you and I really are 16-year-old little girls, right? <laughs> um, so uh, it's at My White Belt on Instagram, and I try to be as available as I can possibly be to encourage people, our sort of motto is get off the couch, get on the mat. That's, that's, that's why I'm here. And I would, I would strongly recommend anybody to go check, to go check this out. And I will provide links in the, in the notes. And Jim, also I'll be telling everybody about you, because I think you're doing amazingly good work, amazingly good work. It was powerful and moving enough to me to prompt me to reach out to you you means a lot enough to have this conversation. So I, I really appreciate you. The pleasure was mine. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Look forward to talking again. And also, if you're in the LA area, 
I'll text you over my cell phone. You ever need anything? Let me know. I would love, I would love to, I would love to drive that two hour drive down to Torrance with you and hang out with the Gracie brothers. That's a dream. So if you, if you land at LAX, you'd be 10 minutes away from the Academy and I would definitely show you around and make some introductions. That'd be amazing. Someday, someday, anything, anything could happen. Open invite, open invite. So let me stop recording.